0: All right, folks, welcome to another fun-filled episode of Zayshura, the Music Explorers podcast, this time in the year of our Lord 2022. As always, I'm Scoot Magoo. And we are starting off with a bit of a light, fun episode. You know, from time to time, we like to resurface our album dares segment, where we each pick an album that is dear to our hearts and the other person has not heard before, and see what happens. Um, It's definitely led to some interesting results in the past, uh, both good and bad, in in terms of of how, you know, the respective person uh, reacted. But uh, I am excited that we are once again kicking off the year and continuing our tradition of having pretty extreme contrasts in in the music that we're talking about. Um, and we'll keep that a little bit of a surprise, you know, once we get to our second album. But the first album, I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, we've talked about this artist before uh, a number of times, and this one was a, was a really fun installment that I had not listened to all the way through before. Uh, I remember... You playing? I think you must have played this at some point, either in the car or, or you know, you know, some other time. Because I remember this. Uh, I remember elements of this release, and I'm excited to talk about it. And it is "Nighthawks at the Diner" by Tom Waits. Um, this is one of the earlier releases from. What are your favorite artists? Right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess to kind of, like, branch off from there, would you say he's in your top five? I mean, certainly I would guess top ten, but top five favorite artists? Not to put you on the spot, but... Yeah. It's over, uh, it's been over a decade since he released his last album, Bad as Me, in 2011. But uh, speaking, you know, kind of going to where we're talking about today, obviously we talked about Small Change for our, you know, one of our album anniversary segments last year. Um, And I I think where most people probably come to Tom Waits is with Sorefish Trombones, where he really started to delve deeper into the avant-garde. Obviously, Rain Dogs is a highlight. Uh, I know bone machine is a favorite of yours or at least what you were really excited when you first first bought it Yeah Oh, okay Hmm Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, that release came out, you know, kind of, I guess, in a cluster of more experimental releases. You know, Surface Trombones came out in 83, and it's, you know, it's credited with moving a a bit away from his, you know, typical... Piano based. I mean, he's always been a little bit of an oddball, or rather a lot of bit of an oddball. Uh, but Swordfish Chumbos moved a little bit more in in a weirder direction, even by Tom Waits' standards. Yeah. But it was interesting because I always forget, you know, when we you know, like when we stop talking about Tom Waits and then you want know, to revisit it, man, he he had a ton of material up to that point. Like usually you think of you know an artist kind of experimenting after you know, second, third, fourth release, but uh, he released seven albums of kind of his core sound, you know, up through Heart Attack and Vine in 1980 before he got into that weird, you know, weird mope of Swordfish Chambones. You know, of, of course.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, but. But even so, and, you know, we talked about this a lot with, uh, you know, we focused on quite a bit of a small change, but, you know, certainly with Nighthawks at the diner, um, while uh, you definitely get, you know, spoken word, you know, jazz poetry, kind of like lounge jazz. I know that's kind of a taboo term, but you you know what I mean? Like you go to like a jazz club vibe. um, You definitely get that from his early material. Uh, Quite a, quite a different flavor (laughs) than you might expect from that classic sound. And I think Nighthawks at the Diner. Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna. You know, usually I like to dance around the bush. I I really enjoyed listening to this. Um, and I think what I loved about it most was the way it was produced. Because when I was you know going to look into this before I turned it on, um, you know, radio right, music, it's listed as a live album, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and it actually makes a lot of sense because while this was kind of this is recorded, you know, in a studio as you know, it is a studio record. It was recorded with, um, you know, friends of, of, of weights and, you know, people who interacted, it, interacted with it as if it was a jazz club, as, as if it was a live release. And I think that worked really, really well because, you know, a lot of live releases can sometimes feel a little, a little too loose, a little bit too unruly. You know, there's a reason that it's fun to go to a live show, and there's a reason that it's fun to listen to an album. And a lot of times, live albums that I've encountered don't necessarily bridge the gap that successfully. I thought this was kind of a masterclass on how to do it well. Like you absolutely got that jazz club vibe. You got you know kind of the calm response. You know he he's a you know really funny, entertaining, enthralling lyricist. Um, and to hear that interplay with the crowd, it really enhanced the track list, so, I mean, I mean, yeah, for sure, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why it threw me off to see, because on Wikipedia it's listed as a studio album, and Rating Music is listed as a live album. And yeah, I mean, the the truth is somewhere in the middle, because obviously it's not a true live album, but certainly it kind of takes the good from the live setting and and what you get from the interplay, certainly from specifically a jazz club setting, kind of strips away some of the imperfections of the live performance and, and... it really benefits from that, from that dynamic. Um...
1: No, absolutely. I, I mean, I think
0: uh, I definitely remember listening to this with you at some point. It was probably in the car. Um, and I kind of, you know, I felt now that it agreed to what I felt then is that it was, it, it just, you know, whether it's this album where he literally kind of recreates that jazz club vibe or just kind of when I've listened to him in the past, uh, he really does synthesize those elements really nicely kind of uh, you know early freak folk or or really like you know um, liberated folk so to speak Uh, you know obviously you have the jazz club vibe you have spoken word uh, and then he has his own kind of unique personality and flavor where you get a lot of elements that you've you've heard before you know obviously storytelling is a, a classic staple of any number of genres you know we've all or I think growing up with kind of the the rat packs of, of, of the you know the music music industry and, and kind of getting those classic vibes delivered in such a unique interesting way um, it's something that I've always appreciated about Weights and I think this showcased what made those styles so unique and what popularized them to begin with is, is kind of the you know the general vibe of going out in the town and you know having a drink and going to like a, a jazz club except in this case you know, you're, you're getting, you know, like a, a dubious drink poured for you and, and just uh, very oddly oddly dressed characters at the tables around you. It's just, it's... Uh, but in some ways, it's a lot more, more fun. I don't know. I just, I feel like... I feel like his vocals specifically... Um, this is kind of what I've talked about before, is that, you know, is a good vocalist someone who's, like, technically skilled or someone who's just really emotive and... Um, and just really unique and brings a lot of personality and does exactly what they're trying to do really well. And I think that's what's so great about Tom Waits is, I mean, I do think he obviously has some technical chops. Like, some of his delivery, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's maybe not as clean as, like, a Sinatra or something like that. But I think that's why it works so well is because they're just, it's so much more, you know, other than someone like Sinatra or Tony Bennett or whatever, like, which just kind of sound like, they just kind of sound like, the Great American Songbook at this point, like he brings that kind of jazz club vibe and that kind of you know rap pack adjacent vibe, but in such a unique, fresh way that you tend, you kind of get the best of both worlds and
1: yeah. Yeah
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I think that's what I mean. You're totally right that he's 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 quite distinct from, like a Sinatra or someone like that. But I I think that's that's part of the court that that works for me. I didn't mean for so, that to rhyme. Sorry, it just kind of came out like that. But I just he reminds me so much just because I grew up listening to, you know, those kind of artists. Via you know, my mom, via yeah, my grandfather was a big fan, um, and I think that's what enhances you know my own experience with him. Is I feel like he is you at least influenced by, or at least drawing from some elements of that, but doing it in such a unique way. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, not to go on too much of a tan- tangent, but I feel like that's something that I have to remind myself as a as someone who doesn't really have, you know, like, for example, people who don't really like screaming in their music. To me, it just sounds like different types of vocals. Like, I don't, I don't even think about the fact that it's it's wrong. Um, yeah, exactly. And I feel like with, with, with weights, uh I mean... To your point, the fact that you have someone like, I mean, I would not even have guessed Bob Seger would have covered some weights, but but yeah, the fact that, I mean, the underlying songs, like if, if people could just get past, you know, maybe some gruffer vocals, some, you know, they're not used to hearing that kind of style, um, the fact that the underlying songs, you know, maybe an artist they like, they hear something in it, I mean, maybe they could also hear something with it. Listen to this kind of as a as a whole. I mean, the the one moment that really uh, stuck out to me is I, mean, I forget the track where it was kind of that calm response, or rather, just kind of the immediate reaction of a crowd that enhanced the listening for me. Is he and I think he did it in a couple tracks. He played you know Here Comes the Bride, um, yeah, like just that that kind of just the immediate reaction to playing. Obviously, that classic you know piano refrain. Yeah, exactly. And, and and that's the thing is it felt like like that specific section, you know, I mean this this is true of the entire record, but that section stuck out to me because um sometimes depending on I mean I don't wanna dunk on any artist, but um I feel like for example, uh you know, Mighty Mighty Bostones, like the, the kind of two the scott punk band from the nineties that had the you know impression that I get that big song. No, but no, sorry, I'll, I'll keep the diversion quick. But uh, they they do a, a hometown throwdown every Christmas where they play at a venue in Boston and they do, you know, a kind of career retrospective set. And they released, uh, I think one of the first years they started doing it, they released a great, uh, like a, a live album, which essentially served as a greatest hits compilation up to that point. And there are just a few moments where, like, the band, it just totally kills the flow. Of the album, just I mean, because they just recorded the show and put it to record, so I mean, it's not you know, it's not that they did anything wrong, so to speak. But I think you know that that moment you know symbolized for me is both you know kind of the, the the sketch, so to speak, at the beginning and that little piano motif and the reaction of the crowd. It just felt all, it just flowed really well. It just it kind of captured what he was trying to go for and the general vibe of that track really, really well. Well, you know, it, it just. Again, it just struck a chord. It struck all the chords he was going for. Like, it just... It, it worked as a... As a... Like, a, just a record. A dedicated record. But it really fit kind of a jazz... It, like, it captured that... That jazz club and that live vibe really well.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mhm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, I think my favorite is still Bones. trombones. Uh, I mean, I, I think you you let me borrow that, and it just it was it's just such a cool cool record. Uh, and to your point, uh, or I think you at least you know ventured down this path or opened the door, so I'll, I'll I'll continue down it. But uh, I think he he utilizes the you know the uniqueness of kind of having a stage live performance uh, really well, but. You know it is still a quasi live release and and inherently there's it's a little bit limited you still have to have like i mean when you think of it you know a jazz jazz club or you know like a you know a jazz lounge, it's someone on stage typically just with a piano performing maybe some you know accompanying musicians and there's people responding in the, in the club so i think i think surface drum modes is probably still i would probably go to that more quickly just because there's more. Uh, you know ideas there's, there's more going on a little bit more variety but for what it, what's accomplished here and kind of you know the, the early early half of his career like you mentioned releases that we've listened to I mean this is excellent like this really captures a lot of you know what he does well in a very unique way ふふふ <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of albums that really resonated with me, um, uh, this, this actually, this was the album that inspired, uh, this segment just because, you know, they come up a few times and figured it was, it was finally time to, to, to share the love and it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and it is, you know, without further ado, it is the self-titled Slipknot album. Uh this came out in ninety-nine. It was uh you know, kind of right smack dab in the middle of the you know alt metal, new metal phase, which had begun in the early to mid nineties, kind of went through the early two thousands. Um, but right from the get go, and obviously I wasn't I was five when this album came out, but I think Slipknot really, and why I gravitated towards them, you know, I, I discovered kind of their full discography up through, um, I think I discovered them when Volume 3 came out in the mid-2000s, and then, like, I really got into them right before All Hope Was Gone came out, which is their fourth album. Uh, and then obviously Iowa came out in the early 2000s, but they really separated themselves, not just from, like, you know, the get-up, the mask, the jumpsuits, all that stuff, but I genuinely think they're one of the more one of the darker, one of the more extreme, and certainly I mean nothing super avant-garde or experimental, but I really think that they had some tracks on this album, you know, in particular but throughout their career that were a bit more a bit more varied out there. Again, I to I don't want to say this isn't like anything super avant-garde or anything like that. Vaguely, yeah, I do actually
1: hmm
0: No, absolutely, and I think just kind of looking back, that's definitely why I think Slipknot caught on so much because you have a lot of you know, you know Corey Taylor has some he raps on this, not not as much as as obviously someone like Limp Biscuit or your other related artists. Uh, there's some turntables and whatnot, but I think, yeah, but well, yeah, that's what I was gonna say is that um, I mean, even as a Slipknot fan, the Nine members is a little bit of a gimmick, to put it mildly. Um, <laughs> no, I know. I uh, know. I would say in the live setting, it was cool because I, I saw them live. It was one of the first shows I went to. I think it was the show, first show I went to after, you know, the, you know, not that COVID's over, but, you know, I, like after the initial COVID, you know, outbreak um, and having nine people on stage, like the costumes, whatnot, it was cool. Uh, ultimately, the you know percussionist, so to speak, it does add a decent amount in the studio. Like this, you know, their albums, this one in particular felt very, you know very, you know, tribal almost in a way, very percussive. You know, there's a lot more, especially like the toms and the, and the you know, bass drums in particular. Um, you know, kind of the like you mentioned the, the, the beer kegs and like kind of the random, um, random percussive elements there. But especially the, the one artist that or the one member that's a little bit kind of laughed about is the, is the sampler, who just seemingly just stands around stage and doesn't do much. But kind of the weird samples and the way that he, you know, either collaborates with or just he melds with the uh uh the turntablist. It's just it adds some really cool elements to a lot of the tracks here. And I, I think that that couples with the fact that this is some of the heavier um, you know, both in terms of just kind of the the, the style of drumming and just the you know the, the tuning and whatnot. Like this is some of the more heavier output from the new metal scene. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that's what you know, drew me to it. I mean, there's some. Um, I don't think as much on this album. Certainly, you know Joey Jordison, who has you know obviously he's since passed away and left the band, but, you know, there's, there, no, Joy George passed away last year, yeah, uh, he was, yeah, he wasn't with the band at the time, but, uh, yeah, he did, it was, uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, something Joy related, unfortunately, um, but, yeah, it was, it was very, sorry, so, so, it's like, hard to stay away from that, but, but, uh, yeah, like, some, Definitely later on in their career, you know, it, it was rooted in their, their debut, some kind of thrashy drumming, some, you know, almost death but inspired just like a lot of blast beats, um, just a lot going on here that I think worked out really well. But generally, I just, I just loved how it all came together and made sense to me. Like, I just, it, all, the songwriting was really great, it was really intense some admittedly sophomoric lyrics um you know i mean it, just some lyrics that you know reading through them now you know as a as a almost 30 year old it's like yeah that's probably not the best lyricism court you could have come up with but um yeah so Yeah, I think on "Spit It Out," there's a like he when he opens up. I think the second verse he says uh, "Biggity Biggity Bitch Boy," which uh, like there's, there's a few kind of like like borderline or like open like homophobic, you know, kind of like typical like yeah, like you're 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 a you're a gay boy, and it's like okay, well that's not great, but no, but I think there's some really intense lyrics and vocal delivery that that, that accompanies it, and it was just to put. I mean, it, it's it's kinda, it's kind of hard for me to. It's kind of hard for me to whittle it down, but, um... Ah, oh, jeez. I'm, I'm trying not to list off every track, uh... Just because... I mean, obviously, Spit It Out is just... is is such a classic. Surfacing. You know, Wait and Bleed is the radio hit. I think eyeless and Sick are great. Um... You know, Liberate. Press... The, I mean, all right, I am just reading every single track. Um... But I think the one track that, in particular, highlights... Um... You know, highlights what i was talking about earlier but the experimentation is uh scissors like scissors is just like i mean I, I i can't think of another new metal band that really wrote a track like that um you know you know tattered and torn another good example uh prosthetics you know really i just this is this was a huge record for, this is you know and again to, i've I've talked a lot but to like it, it, cap out my, my portion um I think this was one of the first records... It probably was the first record that I felt like was mine. Like, it felt like this is one of the first releases, you know, like, my, my parents liked, you know, Korn, uh, Manson, Rob Zombie, like, a lot of, like, alternate... Yeah. <laughs> but they did. They liked a lot of... No. <laughs> Marilyn Manson, yeah. And he uh, they liked a lot of, like, those... Kind of, you know those kind of artists, and I felt like this this is a step too far for them. But I think it made sense that, like, you know, the stuff my parents exposed me to, you know, I liked that, and this was just like the next logical step. And I felt like this was the first artist that I really discovered, and it was my own, um, and it really helped catapult me into liking more extreme forms of metal. And there was a period where I was like, "Oh, this is beneath me. I don't need to listen to it anymore." And then the last couple of years, I uh, I kind of was like, "You know what? I miss listening to this stuff. <laughs> I miss it, so... Yeah, definitely. Mhm. So yeah, I I would love for you to take it away. Good, bad, ugly, whatever whatever you have to share. Mm-hmm. Wait and Bleed was probably. Oh, but before I forget, I, yeah, it was a Guitar Hero, and I gotta be honest. Before I forget, it's probably like the lamest heavy song that they have. Of... <laughs> but then you know, honestly, like it makes a total sense why that song caught on. Cause like it's just aggressive enough for like a mainstream rock audience. could see that yeah Um, my guts I'm gonna quickly look that up on my guts says fear factory but I don't know if it was like it was probably pretty close in either direction oh it actually it wasn't that close their first album was 92 Fear factory.
1: Mm-hmm. Ha 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 ha. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: no I'm 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 actually really glad to to hear that honestly what my gut was I figured I figured you would like this I mean I I think maybe maybe Iowa might be the sweet spot for you because that kind of you know starting with volume 3 they started getting I mean that's the album before I forget they started getting a little bit Softer, and then I mean, there's still some heavy moments, you know, throughout their discography. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: no, but you're totally right. Uh, like, wait and bleed. It's especially, I mean, like, I I think it's, it's a, it's. Oh, interesting.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, they they that yeah, that is kind of the there are some really, there are some good lyric. you know, there are some kind of typical new metal lyrics, but there are some good lyrics on here. And I think, um, I think Wait and Bleed is a great example. They, in my opinion, they learned how to write softer songs better on subsequent releases, like, you know, Left Behind sticks l from Iowa, where just, and I mean specifically the, the verses, because um, I think th- there was a, there's a radio version of Wait and Bleed, where I mean you could probably hear on the verses um there's a louder like core yelling track, and then like a he's singing or more, like melodically yelling it's really weird, but it's it's interesting because like the ver- the c d version I have like the him like the yet yeah, like the screaming version is louder, and then like it's kind of you know, there's a backing track that's singing. They flipped that for the radio version and it sounds, it sounds really bad. (laughs) Like just him to hear you or at least felt some kind of way about it um I mean I do I do think for sure uh I kind of like the the masked persona like seeing them evolve all over the years but I think it's just kind of the way people treat it you know I think that. the, the Yeah, and and I think a lot of it. I mean, this this they were just like prime for like a cult following. You know, like their fans are called maggots and whatnot. And I think it was around the time. Have you ever heard of the band Head? yeah exactly I think they came out I think Slipknot literally was, was first like I think pretty definitively they they came out first but I mean this is I mean I think we look at it through the lens of the internet whereas back then I mean it was not only possible it happened all the time where people independently had ideas like I think yeah I don't know where Mushroom Ed's from but Slipknot like I gotta check that out because actually might be true but in any case, they, yeah, it was just like, oh, you're, and so, but like from that, it was born out, they said, oh, we did the whole masks and stuff because, you know, like we had different members all the time. We didn't want to like confuse anyone. I don't think they said it like that. Oh, they're from Cleveland. I'm not sure just from Cleveland. Yeah. Ohio, Iowa, whatever. Uh, but, but, um, but no, it's, it's like, okay, so you're like a, you know like an independent metal band from Iowa, and you're worried people are going to be confused because you have like a bunch of new members, like a revolving doors of, of members. I'm not, I'm not so sure anyone really cares that much. But no, it was, it was just, it was very obviously a gimmick from the get-go. But I mean, it, it worked, and I mean, I, I think it's a fun part of there. I mean, definitely, you know, now that they have, you know, they've been pretty successful over the years, spoiler alert. Um, like the show I saw earlier, or late last year, the production value and like having them all in costumes it was it was pretty pretty goddamn cool it was really cool um but yeah it's been interesting to see them ebb and flow over the years I kind of fell in my interest in them faded around the time that I would consider probably the weakest point of their career but their last album I actually think is really good I think that they've maybe not aged consistently gracefully but certainly to your point maybe like the one weakness of Slipknot is it's very much a it's just dripping in angst. It's just dripping in like, you know. Yeah, it's not surprising. It's just it's good that they over the years they finally like started to kind of grow up and try some different things. Cause this this was very much like it came out like at the perfect time. It was like a perfect product of its time. Uh I think uh I don't know, like, kind of the new metal revival that's going on right now, I think it, you know, you see a bunch of bands with short short shelf shelf lives just because um, I just feel, feel like that, 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 like, nostalgia factor kind of only goes so far. And I feel like the same thing for, for Slipknot is that, like, if they hadn't um, kind of grown and evolved, like, you know, part of me getting into Limp Bizkit is I bought some of their later albums, and they kind of didn't try to evolve. (laughs) And I I think that's probably why they they fizzled out. And uh, uh, I think, I mean, that's probably why a ton of bands from their ilk, they didn't really, you know, like, they definitely got a lot more, a lot tighter with their later releases, um, you know, kind of crossed over in different, you know, doubled down and softened certain parts of their sound. But I think really this is a really nice... um, launching point that I, I I always go back to I would probably this in volume 3 you're probably tied for my favorite I, I don't know which one I prefer more um, but for, from what you said I think I would really recommend Iowa I think Iowa might be a When when they get weird and again not like avant garde or anything like that when they when they like really experiment and do some like weird darker tracks they're they're really good like I mean I I you know back in the day I didn't appreciate a track like scissors but listening to it now I'm like man like they had to have some balls like they you know they like to to I I doubt that they played any of these songs like at Ozfest or like Family Value like whatever those kind of tours they were on but like that was a that was a really adventurous, like we're gonna do whatever the hell we want, kind of decision. Uh, considering all the other tracks they were putting out and the, what the you know what was popular at the time. <laughs> yeah, why don't you? Uh, unless you'd rather I, I go first. All right, take us away. Yeah, was was that the one where you sent me the stack and I was like, oh, what's that? Like the one that I thought looked cool. Yeah, because that that definitely, I mean, you know, judge a book by its cover, I suppose, but like I thought that looked really interesting. And I've I've also, you know, I've I've heard of Cluster. I think at one point I almost bought a, a record for them, and I think it just just because it was on the more expensive side, I put it back. But yeah, they uh, definitely an artist that I want to check out for a while. So. Um Yeah, I've actually been eyeing this one for a while. Uh, I originally bought it back um maybe by Thanksgiving haul at Red Scroll. Um, and, you know, put it back on a couple times since then, including this week. And uh, I've been wanting to talk about it for a while because I was really surprised. I, I I found it. It was used. It was a good price. Uh, and it's one of those... Uh, I think some some people have said this this too, and they think that doesn't really exist. But it's kind of like a deep cut classic in a way, where like when you when you, you ask people to name like a classic from a certain genre, they they will list off a certain number and they say, well, "What about this album?" They said, "Oh yeah, like it may may not be their first pick, but certainly everyone would agree that it belongs." Uh, and this is a kind of an underrated black metal album that people had talked about for a while. It was kind of the uh the the Thinking Man's, you know, first wave black metal album that you know people, people say, hey, if you if you know if you like, you know, your standard fare, definitely check these guys out. And it lived up to the hype, but I don't know if I expe- or I, I didn't expect what I got in a in I guess a good way. But it is Drawing Down the Moon by Beharit. Uh, they are a Finnish black metal band. It, but the more you know, the longer I am a active metal listener. Uh, Finland was was a huge contributor to the development of extreme metal, you know, specifically black and death metal. But um, it's crazy how many you know influential bands came from you know the land of a thousand lakes. Uh, but this was a I didn't really know what to make of this on first listen. It was a like it i guess it was an experimental record like experimental metal record that made sense like definitely like when when you, you thought about it you were like wow there's th- a lot of stuff going on here that doesn't really make doesn't really make sense when you think of black metal but it fit um like the the production is really raw but not like not not so raw that it's you know kind of unintelligible and the vocals are really bizarre uh, there's a lot of like spacey synths, like, and this was kind of this is in the early '90s when that hadn't really become totally the norm, and like, and not not I don't mean like the symphonic elements of, um, of like an emperor or anything like that. I mean like like dungeon synths and some like genuine like space ambi- ambient synths, um, some weird weird vocal modulations, some weird like computer art computer-altered vocals. But just in general... Um, like, it's not... It's not super fast, but it's not super... Like, it just... it just All the things you would expect from black metal all the time, it just kind of bucks the trend. Um, just a really weird... But also... Like, again, it just really fits into the general ideas that were going on at the time for black metal, but just in a very unique way. I don't know, man. Like, it was just a... I really enjoyed it, but I was oftentimes confused as to what exactly was was happening. And like, or rather just why it worked, like how come, you know, I mean, this honestly sounded more like a late 90s, early 2000s kind of black, black metal release. I think it would have made more sense if this came out, you know, post 95, you know, like, okay, like black metal has been around for a while. People were toying with it, but. The fact this was like a like a more it was kinda like uh MF Dune's first project. Uh um No, it was he was in a group KMD, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh and that one like certainly by today's standards, it was not like an experimental, like there are many more uh experimental abstract hip hop releases, but just the fact that it was it was recorded, I think, in the the very early 90s maybe even late late 80s and it was it was it was really really interesting to hear like wow like this this really was ahead of its time like what they were trying to do again like nothing nothing super crazy but just the fact that like when it came out um, and the fact that it was executed so well so it was a similar kind of feeling with this Beharit album um, and yeah I, I was glad glad to find it and I really enjoyed finally checking it out
1: Yeah.
0: Oh no, yeah. That's uh, that they've kind of spawned their own subgenre at this point, like dissection core, like mel- like the melodic death metal, or rather like melodic black metal. That's very you know there's other bands like uh, like yeah, Immortal like sacramentum is actually an underrated uh band who but I think that's one of the reasons speaking of Sacramentum, that's one of the reasons I jumped on this is because it was a it was a reissue it wasn't like an original copy or like a rare copy or anything like that but just finding relatively you know affordable in the flesh versions of these releases like I've been trying to find Sacramento's debut album for a while and I just can't find it for anything relatively affordable because like a lot of them, like I think the original pressing of the album I got like I got it used for I think it was like I think it was less than 20 bucks or somewhere around there so it wasn't too bad but like the original pressings are like the you know back on black or the reissues that are at least like 30 bucks and they're just you know because because they know this like you know supply and demand they're gonna get get those like you know vinyl collecting metal heads and like get 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 them to pay like you know 50 gajillion dollars to have it to their their collection um So that's an interesting aspect of vinyl collection is like, uh, how do I put it? Like, like the vantage point of some people that like a super old copy, like, I know I have bought old vintage copies that people are like, oh, this is old, you know, it's been played for a while. It's, you know, you know, it's, it's quite worn down and they sell it for like a pretty reasonable price then other people will pay top dollar for it because either a like it's a well-known artist or b like oh like well it's that super limited pressing or like it's a, it's a, like it's a vintage pressing um and just the, w- the way people treat it like for me like what's paramount for me is like i just want to own this album so i can listen to it like i don't really care like i don't really care if it's an you know, original pressing i mean the only time like for example you know speaking of slipknot i bought the 10th anniversary edition of their debut just cuz there's a bunch of like legit bonus tracks not like i mean there are a bunch of like demos and stuff like that but like there's a a, a track called purity that's like a slipknot favorite that's it was on the uk version and they took it off for the american version and this one has it and there's some other bonus tracks that are on there like i bought that cuz there's more material but in terms of like owning a specific pressing like i don't really give a shit i don't really care about that Yeah, exactly. Like you know, speaking of Slipknot, their debut, uh, "Mate, Feed, co, Repeat." Uh, I've looked into getting that for a while, and the only versions I found are either like, I mean, first of all, I don't know if, I don't know if there was ever like a verifiable, like, I, like I'm not sure how like how genuine any of the releases I found were, but some of them were flat out just like unofficial release and i'm like so not only just the idea of like hey i'm buying a bootleg but also am i just going to get like a you know fucking you know super d- discount print job and like a you know like a cvs grade and i'm like i'm going to spend all this money for like supposedly this rare copy of this demo and it's going to least like, something i could do it myself i could just bur- i could just burn it and like yeah <laughs> oh man Yeah, that was a per- that was a perfect send off. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Bye.